Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. It's Luke 1, 26 through 35. Once you find your way back, go ahead and open your uh, Bibles, whether you've got a physical one or a digital one. Luke 1, 26 through 35. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the most power, excuse me, and the, mo- the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Thank you, Jonathan. Well, <clears throat> I got to be honest with you. There's a, a time in my life when I was a little bit, uh, a little bit of a Scrooge. I would kind of groan when Christmas time would roll around. Uh, and the reason why was, not, I, I liked a lot of the things, but uh, was, was because in, in ministry, I kind of felt early on that it, it seemed like Christmas time, with all its fun and coziness, was a time when it seemed like the, a lot of these glorious truths of the gospel all the life transforming things that happen when we walk closely with God would almost kind of be put on hold so that we could talk about shepherds and starry nights and myrrh and mangers and babies and stuff like that. And, uh, it, it would seem like, why do we, why do we stop thinking about all the, all the rest of what it means to follow Jesus around Christmas time? Uh, but as I've, as I've grown and understood the beauty of Advent, I see that that doesn't have to be true. That instead, the gospel is central. The, uh, the most important aspects of our faith are central to celebrating the Christmas season, celebrating Advent, which is, which literally means the, the, the coming of God, the Emmanuel, God with us. And even the stories surrounding uh, the birth of Jesus, the stories that we look at every single year in Scripture uh, show us, in, in part, uh, the, the, the good news of the gospel, the kind of the core of the gospel even, the thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion, uh, which every other religion would say that God is up up there and we're down here and we need to be or do a certain way uh, to get up to him. But the message of Christmas is what? That God draws near to us, that he came down so that we don't have to get up, get up to him. He moved into the neighborhood. He uh, took on our form, spoke our languages, and made a way back into life with him. And so my hope 
in this Advent series is that we wouldn't put our, our, the normal rhythms of our walk with God on the shelf, the normal truths of the gospel that we define our lives until all the, you know, the cookies are decorated and the presents are wrapped and the, the eggs are deviled, uh, though I do love deviled eggs. So be sure to devil the eggs, but just remember what we're celebrating and that this Christmas would be one where we're experiencing the, the birth of Jesus uh, and that, that God is with us, that he loves us enough to move towards us, not just to wait for us to get to him. And specifically this year, we're looking at this idea of, of fear and its connection to the birth of Jesus and what the birth of Jesus means for the fear that you and I struggle with all the time. John Lennon, the uh, famous songwriter for the Beatles, has this incredible quote. <clears throat> He says, there are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we are afraid, we pull back from life. When we are in love, we open to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. All hopes for a better world rest in the fearlessness and open-hearted vision of people who embrace life. A lot you could say about that quote, but it's like he's saying there's two, two different kinds of fuel that humans can run on. We can either be powered by fear or we can be powered by love. Those are the two options. The results of your life, the experience of your life will be determined by what fuel your life is running on. To quote another John, perhaps a slightly less eccentric one, the Apostle John, after whom my son is named, has this to say about fear and love in 1 John 4. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Hold myself back from preaching the sermon on that one. But I, I read that here to show that here on the second week of Advent, where the theme is love, we are going to look at this connection between the proclamation of, of God's Son and what it does for our fear. Mary is the, the person we're looking at today, and her fear is the fear of the impossible, the, her own inadequacy and limitations. Have you ever experienced times in your life where you just want to scream, like, I can't do this? How do you expect me to do this? We, life seems impossible. We feel inadequate to the task of just what is in front of us. There was a moment back when I was in college uh, down at Miami of Ohio near Cincinnati when I was, I was in a pretty deep funk. I was depressed, and I felt lost and confused. I was kind of hating my classes because I didn't really know what the point of them was, and I, I, was, I was coming into a week of just a ton of papers and tests, wondering how I was going to get through it, and I talked to my dad on the phone, uh, who was here in Columbus uh, earlier in the day, and was just kind of despairing and despondent, and a few hours later, I was in my dorm room just staring at my computer trying to grind through a, a paper and my dad walked in with a bag of Chipotle burritos and he, he had heard how down I was and got another doctor to cover his call for a few hours and drove the two hours to Oxford, Ohio to bring me Chipotle, which is my favorite. And he sat down on my unmade dorm room bed and ate burritos with me and asked how I was doing and didn't try to fix my problems or answer all my questions. He was just with me. He fed me yummy food. He prayed with me, and then he went home. 
left me with a deep sense that he was for me, that he loved me, that he felt me as I was going through stuff. And in these fear not moments around the birth of Jesus, the call to do not be afraid or to fear not is followed by a reason why. It's fear not, fill in the blank. And for Mary, she's called to fear not because she has found favor with God. And I tell that surprise Chipotle visit story because I think it's a sweet, simple picture of what it means to have favor with a father, like God our Father. God is a good father who loves us. And part of the shade of that love, part of the the depth and nuance and beauty of the love of God for you is that he has favor for you. he's He's a father who's for you, who sees you in your struggle and draws near, who comes to you, towards you, and comforts you. We're looking at Mary here on the second Sunday in Advent where traditionally the theme is, is love, and I hope this idea of favor will just give more depth and meaning, that we can just meditate on this idea that in Christ, you and I have favor with the God of the universe. That's the main point this morning. We don't have to fear the impossible, our inadequacy, because we have favor with God. That terrifying sense of, I cannot do this, is cast out, is silenced, is comforted by the God of love who is for us and draws near. So if you haven't yet, turn in your Bibles to Luke 1. It's on page 1012, I think, of the Pew Bible. There's a lot of Bibles around this church, and I think I checked the right kind of Pew Bible. 1012 in the Pew Bible, you want to follow along. Luke 1, starting in 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So to set the scene, Mary would have been uh, a te- probably a teenage girl in a tiny town. It's like a sophomore in high school in Pataskala was visited by an angel and given this news. An angel shows up and says, greetings, you are favored by God. And I, and I love, there's a whole other sermon in this, but like, I love how we see God's economy and who is favored. How God, God assigns value. In his kingdom, he didn't look at who had the biggest Instagram following, who was the most powerful politically, who had the most money, who could provide the best education for Jesus. He picked Mary, a young girl in an inconsequential town. And she's told to not be afraid because she has found favor. What does it mean to have God's favor? It means that God is for you, he looks upon you with compassion. And that if you're in Christ, he's not frustrated or disappointed in you and that he deeply loves you. I think sometimes if you, we've been Christians a long time, we feel like God loves a future version of us or he wants us to be further along. 
or we know that God loves us because Jesus died for our sins, so he kind of has to love us. But does he like me? Does he delight in me? Is he for me? Or is he just kind of begrudgingly like okay with me? But the words the scripture uses here is favor. And can we just breathe in this truth that God is for you and looks on you with compassion? And then, friends, setting up our lives to experience this reality that that God has accomplished in Jesus, setting up our lives to experience the favor, acceptance, love, and belonging that we have in the eyes of the God of the universe is the only way that we can conquer fear in our lives truly and live with courage out in the world. We see the result of this favor, (coughs) excuse me, in verse uh, 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, the angel says, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The result of God's favor is Jesus coming to her. She's going to have a baby who will be the eternal king of the universe, will be what the world has been waiting for for millennia. And I think it's, this shows us something very important about the favor of God. Jesus coming is, is a big deal. We see some maybe TV preachers or something, podcast preachers, that God's favor might show up, you know, in the form of a new Bentley or a lot of money or a raise or, you know, a life without any drama or pain. But here we see what it means to have favor with God is that Mary gets God, that Jesus is going to come to her. Favor with God, first and foremost, is about his presence. Like my dad visiting me in college, disrupting his whole day to come and be with me in my despair. In God's favor, we get to be with him. In his love towards us, he draws near. And we can know that his eyes see us and love us. Now, to state the obvious, we, we don't get to become the mother of Jesus But God in his mercy looks upon us in favor. And the result of that is that we get to experience Jesus in our lives. Christianity isn't first and foremost like a a set of ideas that we put up in our heads and then just go and live life. But instead, it's this intimate abiding relationship. Jesus said what? He will never leave us or forsake us. Where does the Holy Spirit live? In our bodies. This is the favor of God. Look at verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? So Mary responds with a question to this mind-blowing news. And I think it reveals some of Mary's heart posture, the trust that's kind of at the root of Mary's heart. Her response is one that's honest. It sees the impossibility. She's like, well, that can't happen. Like, there's just some biological practicalities that would have to happen before that can uh, be real. And she doesn't understand. But I think what's so significant here is that you see in her confusion that she is, she is trusting. She's soft-hearted and receptive. She's not scoffing like Zachariah did. Like, do you expect me to believe this? She's not frantically scheming how to figure it out on her own. She asks the question, This is a big deal because in Scripture, we see God promising children to people. 
And then people take matters into their own hands. Abraham was promised to be the father of many, uh, of many children, many sons. I'm one of them, so are you, uh, if you haven't heard the song. And he and his wife, Sarah, got tired of waiting for God's timing. And what did they do? They didn't, they didn't want to trust God's plan. They heard news, and they didn't want to trust God's plan. And so Sarah had Abraham sleep with her maidservant, Hagar, to have a child. And that's caused geopolitical problems in our world to this day. But not to throw Abraham and Sarah under the bus. We do this all the time in our lives. Try to help God out, take matters into our own hands because we don't trust him deep down into our bone, in, in our bones. We, we believe that he's good. We believe that he loves us on some level. But then we try to achieve God's purposes in our own strength instead of trusting what God, God will do what he said he will do and creating space for him to do that. Mary could have said, okay, I'll get right on that, and then tried to make a plan or like bump up her wedding or something like that to, to, to make this happen, but she's quick to embrace her limits and, in her, and, and express her confusion to God. What about you? When you face something that seems impossible, are you more likely to trust, to be soft-hearted and receptive and honest about your confusion before your father? Or are you more likely to scheme or stay awake all night with a monkey mind, speaking for a friend? Not that I ever do that. One way to check and see the quality of our trust in God is to consider the degree to which we can share those confusions, questions, despair, those ugly thoughts and emotions that we feel like we might, we shouldn't have. You know, like, like similar to like how back in college, like I let my dad know how down I was because I trusted in his love for me. Because if showing up to God feels like, all right, I got to put on my smiley church face and make sure that I have it all together versus feeling like we're collapsing into our father's arms. That's a big difference. This is not to condemn or shame any of us or say you have to try harder or something like that. Instead, it's, it's some, I'm kind of saying this isn't an expression. It's saying try softer. Consider what it would be like to share those despairing, overwhelming emotions with the God who loves you. Look how Gabriel responds to Mary's confusion. At 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. The answer given to the questions is that God will do it. No word of God will ever fail. Who needs to hear that this morning? In Jesus, you have favor with God, and the Spirit of God will come. Power will overshadow you, and God will do it. How does the birth of Jesus address our fear of the impossible. The birth of Jesus, the the miraculous virgin birth, shows that with God, nothing is impossible. 
And I, I just I love that the angel gives like another case study. Like this is going to happen. And if you needed proof, check out Elizabeth who has conceived in her old age. And I just love Mary's response in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. It's a picture of a heart of trust that finds favor with God. If you want to please God, trust him, need him, depend on him. And we see this story every Christmas, and it's beautiful, Jesus Christmas story time, but let's, miss, let's not miss what Mary is doing here. She's saying yes to God, trusting God without fully knowing what's going to happen, what it, what it means like for, for something like uh, the, the, the power of the Most High to come. How will it all work out? We see it on this side of the story, but for Mary, this was a trust fall. I am your servant. Do what you will. And those scary places where we are faced with things that seem impossible, we can draw near to God and trust him, who he says he is, and respond to his commands with, I am the Lord's servant. May it be so. And often it will feel like not being in control, like a trust fall. Because God is in the business of calling us beyond, of our, beyond ourselves, calling us to things that seem impossible to us, that seem so different from our normal way of being, things that call us out of our sin, out of the destructive ways of living that we've grown accustomed to or we learned growing up. The whole point of the Christian life is to experience the, the life with God, the life of God in our bodies, in our lives, in our relationships. And that just doesn't happen when we keep doing the same thing or living the same way or stay in our comfort zone or picking and choosing the parts of the Bible that are easy for us and kind of skating over the stuff that we can't do just on our own strength. Now, trusting God may look like feeling called to sell everything you have and be a missionary in Iraq or something. And praise God, if God's calling, we would love to be a part of that journey with you. But the longer I'm a pastor, the more I've come to see that some of Jesus's most basic, fundamental commands are really epic and are not things that we can do on our own strength. So one that I'm often sitting with before God, feeling the impossibility of, is in Matthew 6, when Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything. So, so what do I do when I'm consumed with anxiety? What do we do when we feel stuck in our anxiety? Like we know, hey, an anxious life is not what Jesus died for me to experience, but I, I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I can like just pop the hood of my soul and just take out the anxious part and stop being anxious. And so instead, we could say, how can this be? I see this invitation to peace, this invitation to freedom from anxiety. I, I don't know how to do this, God. And for me, then, often that looks like meditating on a psalm or underrated. I physically get down on my knees or I go for a slow walk 
and I wait for the Holy Spirit to come and the power of the Most High to overshadow me with the peace that surpasses understanding. Because believe it or not, the Bible, I think, has very clear practical pathways for, for the promise of addressing anxiety. This is like a case study for something that might be impossible for some of us. Because uh, for some people, the holidays can be an anxious time. So I thought this might help. Look with me at Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is any excellence, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. It's a beautiful passage that's also very, very practical. What Paul's saying, if you're anxious, step one, pray. Put those things before God. Because what, what do we so often do when we're anxious? We work harder, scheme harder, stay up all night with the monkey mind running circles in our minds. And what scripture calls us to do is to bring those anxieties to God, but here's a key. It's so counterintuitive. With thanksgiving. So we're anxious about some negative, impossible situation, but we're supposed to pray with gratitude. I always giggle when some new trend out in the world is really just science catching up with scripture. But there's all, all kinds of research coming in about the psychology of gratitude, of cultivating a gratitude practice, like it's some new trendy thing that the hipsters have discovered when it's just been in scripture forever. Because it turns out when we intentionally choose to practice thanksgiving, even when we don't feel like it, even when life feels impossible, something opens up in our souls. So a few weeks ago, I was anxious about a dentist appointment that Johnny had coming up, which are, this is a small example. And I realized that dentists shouldn't be a big deal. But Johnny and I had a tra traumatic experience at the dentist where he like bit the dentist's finger and ended up having all, screaming and kicking and not getting the cap put on right and all these other appointments. And it was a whole big saga. And then it turns out they didn't do something right. He's going to have to have another dentist appointment. And I was feeling very anxious about it. And so I tried to come before God with this anxiety, praying, God, please let this appointment go smoothly. Thank you for how you've blessed me in my marriage and the joy of being a father, that I have a son that I love so much. And even the means of taking Johnny to the dentist is evidence of your, your providence. I, I thank you that there's a dentist that we can go to. And ultimately, Jesus' work on the cross, that you didn't spare your own son, but gave him up in order to adopt me as your son, shows that you're for me. So please quiet my heart. I know you love me. I know you love Johnny. And then having cast my care on God, I just wait on God for that peace of God to guard my heart and mind. It's a silly example, but I hope that showing up to something as impossible as not being 
anxious means choosing to, to do some simple practices over time and letting it become more natural to us to stop, put our cares on God, make our requests with thanksgiving than, than, it, is, than it is for us to just instinctively fester in our anxious monkey minds. And just consider the, be- the beautiful promises in that passage. The, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And the God of peace will be with you. This is not a silver bullet. This is not like, try this once and bam, we're not anxious anymore. But instead, it's a lifestyle that reminds us of the truth of the gospel, the loveliness of God's goodness to us in Christ Jesus. And it's how we become non-anxious people of peace and the power of the Spirit. Now let's look at what Mary does in response. Verse 39. At the time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary responds to fearless, in fearless worship. She's not this timid, pregnant teenager, but her soul magnifies the Lord. I love that imagery. That It feels like in her experience with God, her soul is expanding and magnifying the Lord. And look at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary has experienced fear. She's experienced the good news of God's favor and God being with her. God's power to do the impossible. And this mighty one has done great things for her. And it leads to this joyful, fearless praise, which is really amazing when you consider Mary's life, life situation right here. Again, we can kind of like tie a bow and sugarcoat this as a Christmas uh, story. Uh, but really, she's a, a pr- pregnant, unmarried teenage girl. Back then, that was an incredibly insecure and socially unacceptable state to be in. Here she is staying with her aunt. She's not even in her hometown with her family. Could it be because things would have been so uncomfortable in her hometown where everybody knows her and knows that she's not married and sees the baby bump grow? But instead, what we see is this joyful, fearless worshiping young woman because of what God has done for her, because of the favor that she has with God is more real to her than her immediate circumstances. This is a a picture of the response of people who trust God and give him space to do the impossible in their lives. God is more real. The joy of the gospel is more real and worship is tangible even in the midst of terrifying circumstances. It's a pattern we see over and over in Scripture. People are fearful, timid, anxious, and then they experience Jesus, and they're set on fire by the fact that they have favor with God for free by grace. And those people are emboldened to do incredible things. 
After Jesus died, his disciples, the people who were with him for three years, are what? Terrified, hiding behind locked doors. And then after he shows up, they change the world. 120 people change the world are the reason why we are here in this room today. What feels impossible to you? Where do you feel terrified and stuck in your life? What would it look like for you to quiet yourself before the God of the universe who looks upon you in favor because of Jesus? And I just want to make this favor, the very clear connection between Jesus coming, the reality of who Jesus is in this favor. This favor is not something we have with God for free. But in 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> Paul says this, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the, in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for you, to be sin, to, to take on all the reasons why we should not have favor with God so that in him we become righteous before God, which means that God looks upon you and sees Jesus' perfect righteousness. When God looks upon you, he's looking on with the same affection and care that he has towards his only begotten son. And this is the gift of Christmas that we celebrate each Advent season. And our souls can magnify the Lord because of these great, this great thing he has done for us. Let me pray. Oh, Father, would you have mercy on us this Christmas season, this Advent season? And would you meet us in the hubbub of all the holidays? Would we see you looking on us with love? Would we feel the tenderness of being able to bring our anxieties before you, the things that we feel stuck and impossible to us? Father, would you, would you quiet our shame, the things that would keep us away from you? Would you fill us, with, uh, fill us with joy as we see you looking on us with love? Father, would we become people who uh, can share, uh, experience your favor and share that favor and love with others? Forgive us when we try to do things on our own strength. Forgive us when we try to do the things you tell us to do uh, without you. Father, would you just draw us back to you this Christmas season and to experience your favor? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. 
Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.